This morning, I want to continue the series that we've been in for the last few weeks. We've been talking about linked. Talking about this issue of relationship. Our God created us. He created us for relationship. We're, we're made in His image. We're, we're wired to be like Him. And so we know that this is core to who we are. It's core to what we do. This issue of, of relationship. And also it, it speaks, to, speaks to our testimony as well. I have, uh, I've, I think at times, I think I've been a very good friend. Uh, man, I, I think of some of the adventures that, that I've gotten into. Let, let, me, let, me just, let me just say this. I don't think I've had a friend ever talk me into doing anything stupid. But man, I've talked a lot of people into stuff. I, I was one of those guys, it... it, it my parents could never say, you know what, Ed's not a bad guy. He's just hanging around with bad people. I was that bad guy, okay? I was the guy who said, hey, let's do this. Um, my hope is this. My hope is that as I've grown, as I've matured, that I've, I've become a, a better friend. I can relate to the individual in, in the Bible, the New Testament, uh, Paul, originally known as Saul, who became Paul. You know, Saul was one of those guys that, uh, man, if, if you wanted to see trouble, just hang around with Paul. Okay, Paul created it. But he had this, he had this amazing experience, this amazing encounter with God that, that changed him. It changed the way that he looked at life. It changed the way that he looked at people. And it, it changed the way that he looked at relationship. Paul grew up, very religious, extremely religious. And he could tell you what was wrong with everyone. And yet he has this epiphany, right? God gets his attention. Jesus speaks to him individually on the Damascus Road, and his life is forever changed. And so the way that he relates to people forever changes as well. Paul writes this when he writes to the church at Philippi. Starting in, in, in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, he says this. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. I, I, I can connect well with this Scripture because here's what I sense the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul. If Jesus has done anything in your life, if you've connected with him on any level, then, then let this attitude, let this disposition, let this mindset, let this way of doing life, let this be evidenced in you. And, and here's what I'm convinced of. I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced that if you want to know how to make relationship work, you're going to find it right here in Philippians chapter 2. Because Paul describes to us the way that we are to connect with others in looking at the way that Jesus connects with us. Thirty-two years ago, I, I loaded my 1980 Ford Fiesta up with all my worldly possessions. That will tell you how much worldly possessions I had. 
uh, if you have any idea how the size of a 1980 Ford Fiesta, my, my 1980 Ford Fiesta, I think, would fit in the trunk of the car that I drive now. And uh, it was great, though, because, I mean, if, if, if you ever had an issue, uh, you could just pick the car up and just, I, 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 went to, I went to Bible college in Minneapolis. I never had to worry about snow. i just pick the car up, put it in my pocket, and go. Uh, it, was, it was one of the tiniest little things, but, man, uh, great on gas. And, and one, of the, one, of the, one of the big selling features of the Ford Fiesta is that it had a full-size spare. Now, the reason it had a full-size spare is because the regular-sized tires on the Ford Fiesta are the size of the donut that you have in your trunk now. Quality. It was, it was quality. I'm telling you what. You could just, when those rubber bands would hum, when you get that thing up to speed, it was, it was a delight. But it was a great college car. Uh, me well, I loaded everything up and, and, and went off uh, to, to, to Bible college. Got there the day before my college roommate showed up. Now, my college roommate, I knew him. He was also from my home church. And in addition to being from my home church, he was the pastor's son. And I said, okay, here goes nothing. We'll, we'll try this. I, I was at Bible college less than a week when I became aware of the fact that my new roommate and my pastor's son was homosexual. I didn't, I didn't go on blast. I didn't attack him. But here's what I did do. I went to the dean of men and I said, listen, I need to go to a different room. I need to be uh, away from the roommate that I've been assigned to. This is not going to work out. He asked me why. I didn't share with him details of why. But I just said, I seriously cannot room with this guy. That was August of 1983. The last time I talked with Mike was November of 1983. Mike died of AIDS in 2007. It was interesting to me that even though we attended a, a college called North Central Bible College, that in, in Mike's obituary, it said this. It said, North Central College. That word Bible was left out. When I saw that, it made me weep. And, and as I read it through over and over and over again, here was the healthy thought that I had. Because I want you to understand, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the law of the Spirit, the love in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. God does not work in condemnation. I do believe that it's very important that we recognize the work of the Holy Spirit to bring conviction. What's the difference? Condemnation is guilt that makes you feel bad. Conviction is the recognition of God drawing you to a better place. And conviction is the desire to change. My hope is this morning that you will not feel any condemnation here. In fact, if you feel condemnation here, recognize that it is the work of the enemy. But it's my express desire, it's my hope, that this morning as the Holy Spirit 
works in you and works in me that each one of us has some conviction or a desire to change, a, a desire to get better. And as I read through that obituary, I asked the question out loud, God, what could I have done differently that could have changed Mike's destiny? Instead of operating in anxiety and misunderstanding, how could I have been the friend to him that you called me to be? It's not the only experience that I've had with individuals that were different than me. I, I worked in the Feinerman's Fashions Department of a major department store. It's, it's now part of the Macy's chain, but in 1983, it was uh, Dayton's, downtown Minneapolis. Dayton's, by the way, the scene where Mary Tyler Moore throws her hat up in the air, that was shot outside of Dayton's. And uh, so, uh, anyway, I worked at Dayton's in downtown Minneapolis in the Feinerman's Fashion Department, and I, and I worked around a lot of people who were engaged in alternative lifestyle. And as we were worked till 9 o'clock most nights, as we were standing waiting for a bus one night, I felt God impress upon me that I was supposed to share the love of Christ with an individual, one of, the, one of our coworkers, uh, as we were walking out of the store, as we were walking down the street, and as we were walking to the bus stop. And I resisted, 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 resisted. Felt compelled to, to share with him. But he's different than me. I, mm, I don't know. I, and I wrestled with God explaining to him why this is a really bad idea. Felt compelled over and over and over again. You need to share with him. And I didn't. We stood there for the longest time. He said to just those around, not specifically to me, but he said, I don't think the bus is just going to, I don't think the bus is coming. I'm going to walk. He, he said goodbye to one of our colleagues that was standing there, stepped out into traffic, and was hit, struck by a vehicle. Went into a coma. Four days later, he died. I wonder how different his destiny would have been. I wonder how different even that moment would have played out had I had I not been so uncomfortable with the fact that he was different than me and responded to him with the love of Christ. You know what I recognize? I recognize that I'm not alone. I recognize that each one of us sitting here, that our life is a journey. And we have all these different opportunities and all these different interactions and God gives us the unique position of being his hand extended. God gives us this wonderful opportunity to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And he encourages us to do this through the context of relationships. Here's what I think is so wonderful, so cool about Jesus. Jesus never met a stranger right? It's really easy to say, well, that's of course, because he's God. No, no, no. 
Being all man, Jesus never met a stranger. And if you read through Jesus' earthly ministry, his earthly life, here's what you find. You find this. On his path of destiny, there were these frequent interruptions. And yet, those interruptions never seemed to bother him. And they were colorful characters, weren't they? Right? Jesus was interrupted by the religious. And if they came to him, not to debate, but if they came to him tenderly and earnestly and honestly, he gave them all the time in the world. Right? Nicodemus, very religious, comes to Jesus by night, wondering what he has to do to secure his eternal destiny. Jesus talks to him. That's where we get the most famous scripture, the most familiar scripture that most people know, right? In John 3.16, when Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes on him would not perish but have everlasting life. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus. Says that Jesus has compassion on him. And says, let me help you. This one thing you lack. It wasn't just religious people that came to Jesus. Jesus spent time with a woman who was living with a man who was not her husband after being married over and over and over again. And he left her as she was. It was so evident to her that she ran and told people about it. Come, I want you to meet a man who knows everything about me and yet still accepts me just as I am. A woman caught in the act of adultery. And Jesus looks at her and says, woman, where are your accusers? And she says, I don't know. And being very God of very God, what's his response to her? Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Zacchaeus, we talked about him last week. Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, a gentleman that was in a profession that was considered to be so vile in that time that they wouldn't even include him among the sinners because they didn't want to offend the sinners, right? You had sinners and tax collectors. Corrupt, evil, cheat, stole from his own people and was a lackey for an oppressive government. Jesus sought him out and said, Come on down from that tree. I want to spend time with you. No matter where people were in their journey, no matter where people were in their life, Jesus accepted them, accepted them, accepted them. The church today is one of the most misunderstood organizations and organisms in the world. What people expect from the church is so foreign to what we see in Scripture. Why is that? It's because I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced because we are well-meaning yet misguided. Because we don't understand the difference between acceptance and endorsement. I can accept you 
without endorsing those things that are unwholesome, unhealthy, unbiblical in your life. Let me say that again. Acceptance is not endorsement. And the Word of God says this. It says, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. All across this room, there are testimonies of individuals who came to Christ at the low ebb of life. Ravaged by pornography, God accepted you. Caught up in gender confusion issues, God accepted you. In life-controlling addictive habits, God accepted you. A vicious gossip, God accepted you. A perpetual liar, God accepted you. A glutton, God accepted you. Just as you are. When I came to the understanding of God's love, I was a messed up teenager who was drunk more than I was sober, was running the streets, causing all kinds of trouble, involved in petty theft and all these other different things. I was not the type of person that you would want hanging out in your home, certainly not the type of guy that you would want dating your daughter. But God accepted me. In no way did he endorse my lifestyle, but he accepted me. I want you to know this. If you're here today, sir, ma'am, if you're here today and you're struggling with pornography, you're accepted here. I want you to know, sir, ma'am, if you're here today and you are a, a consistent perpetual liar and cheat, you're accepted here. Ma'am, sir, if you walked in here today and you're cheating on your spouse, we accept you here. If you walked in today and, and you're, you're, you're in the midst of just significant gender issues, you're accepted here. No, no judgment, no criticism. You walked in here as a sinner and you sat down by a bunch of other sinners. See, he who has begun a good work in you will continue that work until its day of completion. And that's the reason Paul says this. He says, listen, if, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any fellowship with the Spirit, right? If any comfort from His love, if, if you have any tenderness, any compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, being one in spirit and in purpose. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others 
better than yourself. Consider others better than yourself. See, that's what makes relationships work. When you consider others better than yourself. That word there, consider. In some translations, it's value. In some translations, it's esteem. It's the same Greek word that the writer of Hebrews uses when he says this, that, that Moses esteemed or valued the reproach of Christ better than all of the riches that Pharaoh in Egypt could offer. We are to esteem one another. We are to value one another. And the Bible says this. It says to, to consider others higher than yourself. Now, that doesn't mean to live your life in a self-deprecating fashion. That doesn't mean to talk yourself down. But to see others through a God lens. A year and a half ago, we moved to Orlando. I bought a brilliantly pink house. Vibrant pink. Barbie dream house pink. No exaggeration. Pepto-bismol pink. I'm not talking rose. I'm talking pink. Okay? Like, oh my goodness, is that just, that house must glow at night pink. The inside of the house... Every room was orange. Our bedroom was four different shades of orange. So the outside of my house looked like Pepto-Bismol. The inside of my house looked like a creamsicle. When I purchased the house, I didn't see a pink house. If you, if you go to my house today, by the way, it's not a pink house. We moved in on Tuesday. By Friday, there was no pink left anywhere in the house. Took a little bit longer to do the interior, but within the first year, the pink was gone, the orange was gone. Here's what I knew about the house. I knew this. I knew that it had good structure, right? I knew that it had good bones. Yes, it needed some work. It needed some updates. But what I, what I saw in it is I saw what it could be, not what it was. And so being able to look beyond the surface, I was able to see the value. I would imagine as a young man, as a 14-year-old, as a 15-year-old man, I, I, I'm a young man, I probably didn't give the impression that there was a whole lot of promise. I guarantee you there were a lot of people who knew me my sophomore year in high school and even my, my junior year in high school, because I, I came to Christ the first day of school, my junior year, year in high school, that, that there are people who would have looked at me and would have said, yeah, no. Right, that guy's going to speak to thousands. That guy's going to speak to tens of thousands of young people. Never going to happen. But God didn't just see me as I was, a messed up kid. God saw me for who I could be in Him. And it's, it's fortunate that I did not listen to what people spoke over me, even religious people. But instead, was able to connect with this God who loves me, accepts me, and forgives me. And, and if I'm going to be the person that God has called me to be, 
And if you're going to be the person that God has called you to be, here's what we have to do. We have to take this same disposition. Right? Because here's what we're told. We're told that we should do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. There in Philippians 2. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. In humility, consider others better than yourself. Each of us should look not only to our own interests, but also to the interest of others. I love the way that that scripture is worded. Each of you, each of us, should look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. Looking out for your own interests is... It's, it's reactionary. You don't have to be told to look out for your own interests. You really don't, okay? It is, it's, it's reactionary. If you get thirsty enough, you're going to drink. If you get hungry enough, you're going to eat. If I were to, if I were to take this chair and hurl it at Steve... I don't think I need to instruct him to duck. In fact, Frank sitting behind him is already ducking because Frank knows me well. And so it, it's going to be a reactionary thing, right? So that's instinctive. It's hardwired within us. And, and that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to take care of yourself. It's not a bad thing to provide for yourself. It's not a bad thing to look out for your own interests, And here's what God tells us through this writing of the Apostle Paul. Each one of us should look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. See, being a friend is being considerate. It's also walking in good partnership and and walking in cooperation. Your attitude is supposed to be this. Your attitude is supposed to be the same as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself. Humility is possible. True humility is possible. Listen very carefully to what I'm about to tell you. True humility is possible when you're comfortable in your own skin. I, I enjoy great music. I enjoy, I especially enjoy, I enjoy great music. It, it takes me to another level altogether when it's anointed. I, I, I walk in around Sunday mornings, and I tell you what, this team, it was true when Pastor Mike was leading. It's, it's, it's still very much true with Pastor Pucci up here leading. I love coming here on Sunday mornings, I look forward to the worship experience. I wish the speaker would speak less to where we could hear worship more. It's okay to clap for that. The, it, it, it moves me profoundly. I can't do what they do. Pastor Mike is incredibly talented on the piano. I I can play one song, Oh, When the Saints Go Marching In, and I can only play it on one hand. It's a good thing that I am not the worship pastor here, because I think after 
five or six weeks, I think you get tired of them when the saints go marching. And even though it's a wonderful song, right, and it's moving, it, 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 it lacks a little bit on, on some levels, don't you think? Anyway, moving on. I, I, don't, I don't have to be what I'm not. I don't have to be what I'm not. And, and humility is, it's a contentment with who you are. It's a contentment with how God made you. And, and your, your shape, I'm not talking about your physical disposition, but your shape, your spiritual gifts, heart, ability, personality, and experience, God has wonderfully and uniquely made you. And he's wonderfully and uniquely made you for a purpose. And it's a purpose that only you can fulfill. What the enemy loves to do is the enemy loves to get us caught up in the comparison game which keeps us from being able to live a contented life. And this this lack of contentment is what destroys relationship. Because a lack of contentment is what makes us envious of others, jealous of others, right? And what is jealousy It fuels all this manipulation, it fuels gossip, it fuels all these different things. Spend a little bit of time with a friend that is discontented and you will discover the high level of frustration that comes with that. And so, if I view you through a God lens... And I value you the way that he values you, not because of who you are, but because of what God says you will be. And and I'm willing to not just look out for my best interest, but I'm, I'm willing to help you go forward as well. Right? The Bible says this. It says we're supposed to encourage one another and lift each other up. We're supposed to spur one another onto good deeds and good works. It says that we're supposed, to, we're supposed to build one another up. We're supposed to invest in one another, not for our benefit, but for your benefit. When I, when I walk in that, the power of a selfless friend. Jesus didn't talk a lot about himself. There are those moments. There's those defining moments, especially when he's dealing with the religious people. But for the most part, Jesus didn't talk about himself. He wasn't focused on himself. He was focused on the people that he was around. Jesus was a selfless, not a selfish And relationships work, were designed, were hardwired to be relational beings. And they work when we're, when we're considerate of one another, accepting. Even in those things that we can't endorse, accepting. I... Um, I've had a lot of experiences with legalistic church over the years. 
we had in our previous church, we had a, a young girl show up and one of the ladies in our church thought her skirt was a little bit too short, so she called her into the restroom and made her put a sweater around her legs. The friend who had invited this girl to church who had come the first time found this individual weeping in the women's restroom. I was devastated as a pastor when I found out. I was talking to somebody this morning and they told me about how they had worked to invite a friend to church, invite a friend to church, invite a friend to church, and the person showed up and sat down and it was a spot where there was a sign that said reserved for ushers and the usher came along and made the person move, said you need to move, and the person did. The person got up and walked right out of the church and has never been in a church since. I want to share an illustration, and if you were the person involved in this, I don't do this to pick on you, but it's important that the body of Christ understand who we have to be as a church. Recently, there was a young man who came to church here, was invited by a family member. What you don't know is this, is this young man has lost both of his parents, one by suicide just recently. He was in church on Sunday, happened to be sitting in church with a baseball hat on. He was told that he needed to remove the hat. I don't know where in the Bible it says that you, have to, that you can't wear a hat in the sanctuary. But what that did to that young man and the perception that it gave him of the church is not very good. If I could fill this room full of teenagers with hats on, I would do it today. The reason that the church has the reputation in the world that it has is because it's well-deserved. We are far too judgmental. We are far too hypocritical. Now, don't let the enemy, do not let the enemy twist my words. Because I will tell you this, I have a passion for holiness. But there is never one who has been more holy than Jesus. And here's what I find. I find this, that the religious people regularly made fun of Jesus and spoke negatively of him and said, he hangs out with publicans and sinners. The religious people did not like the way that Jesus connected to the world. And the religious people will not like the way that Calvary connects to the world. But this is the church that we have to be accepting, not endorsing, but accepting. Well, what about holiness, Pastor? Jesus is our example. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. And how did Jesus deal with people who were, who were caught in the bondages of sin? He loved them. He walked them through it. Hold on. He loved us. He walked us through it. And here's what I think is really cool. Are you ready? There's never been a perfect person who's died and gone to heaven. I want you to think about that. At the moment you slip from time into eternity, you will be imperfect. The only reason that you have the opportunity to enter into 
this eternal destiny that God has for you is because of his grace. And we have to be ambassadors of that grace. You're sitting around people who struggle with alcoholism. You're sitting around people who deal with pornography. You're you're sitting around people who are vicious gossips. You're sitting around people who are relentless gluttons. Look around. It's a room full of sinners. We've got nothing to brag about. If I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in my Jesus and that and that alone. Now, here's what's really cool about this. Because that's who we are, we come from all different walks of life. We come from all different cultures, all different socio and economic backgrounds. But we have this common thing. Okay? You might be here and you love rock music. You might be here and you love country and western. I'm praying for you. My son... My son, my completely white son, is so into rap music, I can't even rap presents. <laughs> We're different. One, one of the things I love about this church, look around at all the different shapes and sizes and colors that you see. This is what heaven is going to look like. Okay? And, and, and just like we look very differently on the outside, we're all dealing with all kinds of different issues on the inside. Accept one another then. See, your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself. And took on the role of the servant and became obedient Obedient to death, even death on the cross. To be a true friend is going to require some courage. It's going to require some courage because here's what it's going to take. It's going to take you connecting with people who aren't like you. It's also, it's going to take connecting with people who friends, religious friends, will go, why are you hanging out with him Why are you hanging out with her who used to be him? How could you endorse that kind of life? How could you endorse that kind of, because they don't understand that acceptance is different than endorsement. And here's here's what Jesus says. Come down out of that tree. I want to spend time with you. Woman, why don't you get me something to drink? Where are your accusers? Neither do I accuse you. Listen to the next thing he says to her. Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. He didn't say she didn't have issues. He didn't say there wasn't things in her life that needed to be addressed. 
Here's what he said. It's not my job to bring accusation against you. It's my opportunity to help you to step into the destiny that God has for you. The Bible makes it very clear that we are not to judge the outside world. Here's what it does say. It says we're supposed to hold one another accountable. And what was the number one thing that Jesus dealt with with the religious people of the day? It was this gap between what they professed to be and what they were. Hypocrisy. The gap between what they professed to be and what they were. How can I how can I claim that Jesus lives in me, that he is my Lord and Savior, and not love what he loves, and not love who he loves? Again, don't let the enemy distract you from the message. Don't freak out and think, our pastor is endorsing all kinds of crazy lifestyles. Acceptance and endorsement are two very different things. Had lunch this week with an individual who is a passionate Christ follower, formerly a Buddhist. Buddhism will not lead you to a place of eternal life. But I am so glad that this individual had interactions with Christ followers at a level of acceptance that he could say, hmm, I need to look at this. Jeff Adirond is one of the neatest people on the planet. Grew up in Iran in a Muslim culture. By the way, he was a Muslim and not a terrorist. Jeff, you weren't a terrorist, were you? Didn't think so. I just wanted to make sure. I, I thought that was the case, but I wanted to confirm. See, the love of God is what impacted his life. And that's, friends, that's who we have to be. Here's the reason why this is so important. If you, if you look in Philippians 2, it says this. It says, therefore, starting in verse number 12, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continuing to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's got to be a commitment to this. There's got to be a commitment to this. And the reason there's got to be a commitment to this is because our job, as we consistently live this out, look, look at what it says. It says this, for it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. So do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. I'm convinced of this. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. 
I'm convinced that I owe my college roommate an apology. I was freaked out about his lifestyle choices that were different than mine, and yes, contrary to the Word of God. But instead of being Jesus to him, I operated in fear. I operated in judgment as well. I owe him an apology. He's a great example. He's, he's not the only one in, in life I, I owe an apology. Over the years, I've had neighbors that looked different than me and acted different than me. and I've hesitated to connect with them. Ah, they're probably thugs and gang members. That was the thought that I had. No doubt they saw my car pull out of the driveway on Sunday morning. Most of them probably knew on some level that I was a pastor. And yet I, I judged them and avoided them. I think I owe them an apology. I think, I think as a pastor, I think that I've not done a good enough job over the years in helping people understand this issue of acceptance, not endorsement. I don't think I've lived it as well as I should either. The Bible talks about confessing your faults one to another. This morning, I feel very impressed to do an altar call. And in a few moments when I do that, I, I want you to know this, that, that I'll be the first person at the altar. I also recognize that it's quite possible that I'll be the only one. And if I'm the only one, it's okay, because I'm not coming to the altar for you. I'm not coming to the altar for you. I'm not coming to the altar for you. I'm not doing it as a show. I'm doing it because of the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. See, I want to be a better man. I want to be a better example of what it means to be a Christian to my children. I want to be a more effective witness to my neighbor. And, and I, I want to see them just as they are. I wasn't, I wasn't in church a lot as a child, but I was from time to time. And we used to sing this song, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red, yellow, black, and white. I think we have to add some things to that song. Jesus loves the people, all the people of the world. Red, yellow, black, white. Liar, cheat. 
different religion, different views of sexuality, different approach to life. Jesus loves them all. You are, if you are a Christ follower, if you profess to be a Christian, you are not your own. You are bought with a Christ. You are bought with a price. Right? You have been crucified with Christ and you no longer live. I think it's time for us to stop believing that we're better than others. I think it's time for us to stop presenting a false holiness that is legalism. Standing firm on the principles of the Word of God, but accepting a cheat the way Jesus accepted Zacchaeus. Accepting an adulteress the way that Jesus accepted the woman who was caught in the act. Accepting those who are living outside of God's definition of healthy covenant relationship marriage. Just as Jesus did the woman at the well. I think I've been a hypocrite more than what I want to admit. And I think I've been a contributor to the reason that the church has the reputation that it has. I think that's one of the biggest reasons why a lot of churches look like Calvary does today, where there are plenty of available seats. Because people don't have a problem with Jesus. Jesus is as popular as he ever has been. I want that to sink in for a moment. People don't have a problem with Jesus. Jesus is as popular as he ever has been. But they have a growing disdain for the church. And I think it's because we don't represent Jesus well. What a friend we have in Jesus. All, all, all our sin and grief to bear. What a privilege to carry everything. Won't you stand with me?